following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Meditation is a precise science. It's a means of knowing our own capacities for consciousness, our ability to perceive. And the specific science of meditation teaches us how to expand consciousness and how to develop it. Importantly, in this process, we have to comprehend and understand the conditions of our psyche. It's very easy to see that our physical body is composed of elements, many factors, and many influences act upon the body in order for it to be. The body needs its nutrition, its sustenance, its food, its water. Likewise, the consciousness needs a type of nourishment a type of sustenance. And that food of the soul, we can say, is the capacity to perceive, to comprehend. To comprehend psychologically the factors of discord within our consciousness. What in us is afflicted with anger, with fear, with negativity? What are those elements that condition our perception, and make us very limited people. For in a moment of rage, we speak harmful words, we suffer ourselves, and we make others suffer. In those moments, we only perceive through anger. We don't see that anger is a blind emotion. We may rationalize later on that we were behaving in a destructive way, but in the precise moment of that emergence, of that emotion, we perceive as that emotion as that condition. And so all religions, all traditions teach the science of how to awaken consciousness and precisely by becoming aware of what conditions us, what blocks us from experiencing our true nature, which is a state of contentment, of genuine peace, of a love that is so profound 
that it irradiates towards all beings without distinction and forgives all beings for their faults without distinction, without warrant, without expecting anything in return. So our soul needs to be fed. Our consciousness needs to develop. But we know that through observation of facts, the mind is conditioned and shelled with an elements of fear and laziness and pride and what religions call defects and which a meditator precisely learns to confront in him or herself so as to break those shells because within anger is our consciousness. Within fear is our consciousness. Within anger, within hate, within lust. All of those shells trap really the essence of who we are but in a negative way. So meditation will teach us to comprehend those elements we created in the past. We are responsible for our own emotions, our own mind, how we act. And this is why different traditions, whenever they teach meditation, always emphasize in the very beginning levels of practice. Be a good person. Be kind. Be generous. Be observant of your faults. So that by observing them, and comprehending them, we can eliminate them. And by breaking those conditions of mind, we expand consciousness. We awaken consciousness. And therefore, we can experience all the bliss that the many prophets, masters, Buddhas, angels taught in their different religions and scriptures, which is the beauty and glories of heaven, which is not just a place, but is a psychological state of being a way of being. So in this lecture, we're going to talk about some principles taught within Buddhism and how to understand the mind. What is mind? What is awareness? What is consciousness? And we're also going to compare that with a very uh, beautiful glyph known as the tree of life in Judaism. Because we understand in our tradition that Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Sufism, all share the same roots. And that root is the capacity to perceive. So all the different angels and masters and prophets gave their teaching in accordance with their language, the culture of the people they taught, their own level of being, their own capacity to transmit light. But that knowledge is the same. It's universal. Some people have called it gnosis, the Greek term for knowledge, some people have called it marifa in Arabic or in Hebrew da'at, meaning knowledge. What we know of ourselves and how to change so that we can irradiate that light for all of humanity. And so this wisdom teaches us how to understand the causes of our suffering. And I'd like to relate to you a beautiful teaching given by a Buddhist master. His name was Padmasambhava. His fame in Buddhism is, cannot be exaggerated. He is considered the second Buddha. His scripture for which he is most well known is called the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It's a scripture that's read to monks and practitioners on meditation retreat because its efficacy and force and expansiveness is very penetrative. It teaches us how to be mindful so that we can understand ourselves and expand awareness, awaken consciousness. 
So it's called the Tibetan Book of the Dead because it teaches about how to awaken consciousness physically, but also in the dream state, as well as during meditation and after death. We can say that if we examine our state of sleep, the eight hours we go to bed and when we wake up in the morning, that is a barometer for how conscious we will be when we die. So if we spend eight hours of sleep and there's darkness, it means that we will not have light when we die. Which is why many Christian monks, Buddhists, Sufis, would train themselves day by day in meditation so that they can awaken light. So that when they would go to their death, they would be awakened and prepared. They would be conscious. And speaking face to face with the different angels, Buddhas, gods, divinities, which are really one divinity, in a very direct, clear, intangible manner, known as visions or awakens experiences in dreams. So this is a very valuable scripture. I'd like to read a few excerpts from this as we talk about the nature of awareness of consciousness. The importance of the introduction to awareness. Though the single nature of mind, which completely pervades both cyclic existence and nirvana, has been naturally present from the beginning, you have not recognized it. The word cyclic existence is samsara. It means cycling, churning, turning, repetition. This is a perfect description of our habits. We have certain tendencies that are ingrained in us like stone, good or bad. We indulge in certain behaviors consistently and which become much deepened and strengthened in us the more we feed it. This is a beautiful teaching relating to idolatry within the Abrahamic traditions. People think that idolaters were people who worship statues. But really an idol is anger, is resentment, is gluttony. Habits that are ingrained in us, that have become petrified in our psyche, in which we constantly worship, instead of worshiping the beauty of the consciousness, which is the unification of our soul with the divine. So cyclic existence is precisely this repetition of bad habits. Nirvana means cessation, to cease suffering, to break those shells, so that the soul is in perfect equanimity. Even though its radiance and awareness have never been interrupted, you have not yet encountered its true face. Even though it arises unimpededly in every facet of existence, you have not as yet recognized this single nature of mind. In order that this single nature might be recognized by you, the conquerors, we could say the Buddhas, the Masters, the Prophets, the angels, of the three times have taught an inconceivably vast number of practices, including the 84,000 aspects of the sacred teachings. And we know from any religion that there are many practices and teachings about how to unite with the divine, whether from Buddhism, Judaism, etc. Yet despite this diversity, not even one of these teachings has been given by the conquerors outside the context of an understanding of this nature meaning all the practices of any religion, of any tradition, are useless if we don't know how to be mindful, how to be aware, to be conscious. And even though there are inestimable volumes of sacred writings, 
equally vast as the limits of space. Actually, these teachings can be succinctly expressed in a few words, which are the introduction to awareness. So we're going to talk about the nature of consciousness in relation to the Kabbalah. So Jewish mysticism is the foundation of Christianity. And in our center, we study all religions unanimously, integrally, with the purpose of explaining how to awaken our perception in its full capacity. In the Western tradition, the tree of life is the foundation of all Western yoga, of all union so the word yoga in Sanskrit means to reunite, the same as the Latin religare, religion, to reunite. This is a map of our consciousness, of who we are here and now. It also refers to levels of nature that are more subtle, that we don't perceive yet in our present condition. And the tree of life is, a, is an interesting glyph we can use to study any religion any faith, any pantheon of gods, deities, etc. We see at the top, we have the trinity of Christianity. In fact, we see three trinities in this glyph. A top trinity, a middle trinity, and a lower trinity. What Christians call Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in Hebrew, are known as Keter, Chokmah, Binah. These are not persons. Instead, we teach that they are forces, energies, which are very subtle, a form of light. It is a form of consciousness that is so divine and pure and universal that it is only manifested in beings that have purified themselves completely. Jesus was a manifestation of this light. So was Krishna, Moses. Many other masters have incarnated this divine trinity above, which are three forces, but one light. They are three, but one. They express as three, but they are one unity. Above in this tree of life, we have the most elevated aspects of consciousness. And below, we have the most dense levels of consciousness. We are here in Malkut, which is the Hebrew word for kingdom. It's our physical body. Our body is a kingdom which has all these forces and elements that are in a potential state which we can learn through practice to actualize. And that energy and those forces in our body help to elevate our consciousness up this tree of life. And if you remember our practice, we began with this lecture. We were studying the nature of ourselves, studying the nature of our awareness and our present condition. In our practice, we were examining our body. We became aware of our body. Malkut, our kingdom, is our physical body. In our practice, we also became mindful of the energies of our, of our physical vehicle as well. This is known as Yasod in the Hebraic Kabbalah. Yasod means foundation. So our vital energies, which gives us life, is our foundation in life. How we use our energy depends on our actions, our mind, and our heart, and our will, our behaviors. So therefore, how we use this energy determines our spiritual life. This is why it is called Yasod. And the mystical science that teaches one to 
use this energy in a conscious way is hidden within the Hebrew word yasod and the word sodi. The same Hebrew letters, but switched around. Sodi means secret. This is known as the teachings of alchemy, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Our emotions we also examine in our meditation, relating to this left pillar of the tree of life, this sphere called hod, which means splendor. Hod is our emotions, which can shine with the splendor of the divine or be filled with rage. So this is our center relating to our heart, our emotional states. Our mind we also examined in our practice. We meditated on our thoughts. Notice that the higher we ascend this tree of life, the more subtle things become. The body is very dense, easy to observe. Energy becomes more subtle to observe that, be aware of it. Emotions are much more dynamic. They're powerful. Our mood can shape our entire day when we wake up in the morning, throughout the entire a week, month, etc. And our thoughts, which fluctuate like the wind. When we sit to meditate, we observe ourselves. We see that memories, ideas, associative thinking churns within our psyche. These relate to netzach, which means victory. Because when you conquer your own mind, you become victorious a being known as a Buddha, a master, an awakened one. And then we also talked about and reflected upon our willpower, our motives, what brought us to attend the center of this nature, or our motives to associate with certain co-workers or friends or pursue a a certain type of occupation that relates to will, which is Tifereth. Tifereth in Hebrew means beauty. Really, when our willpower is in a state of purity, equanimity, when the heart shines with resplendence of the divine, when our mind is calm and our will knows how to follow our inner divinity, we are filled with beauty. That's the beauty of the soul. Right action is the most beautiful thing, you could say. When we act in a way that's truly beneficial for another human being, we are performing acts of beauty. That's Tifereth. Above we have more rare, rare levels of consciousness. On the left we have Geburah, which means justice. And I concluded the practice by having us be aware of ourselves as observers. Geburah is our consciousness, the ability to perceive, which of course is very, very rarefied, very refined, and very hard to perceive. But we know that we have this spiritual dynamic in ourselves when we feel a sense of conscience for having committed a wrong deed. We know we said something wrong, we spoke in a wrong manner. Our conscience bites at us. It gnaws at us. It pushes us. And so Geburah is that conscience, our consciousness, but of course, we tend to ignore our conscience in many, in many cases. And meditation teaches us how to feed that conscience, how to awaken that capacity. Meditation is the ability to control netzach, the mind, hod, the emotions, yasod, our energies, and malkut, our physical body, so that it serves our divine consciousness above, which is represented by Chesed, which is our spirit. When people talk about being spiritual in a real 
deep sense, we could say that to be spiritual is to have that spirit inside, which is God. God is spirit. When someone is spiritual, it means they have incarnated God in a real objective sense, in a very esoteric sense, we can say. And above the spirit is our light, which the Gnostics or the Christians call Christ which is the most divine force within all of nature and the cosmos. We find these three forces, Keter, Chokmah, Binah, within the atom. The Father, Keter, is the positive force. Chokmah, the Christ, is the negative force, the electron. So we have a proton, an electron, which are bonded together or held in unity, through the force of the neutron, which is the neutral force, the Holy Spirit. So these are terms that Christians use, but in their deep, deepest sense, refer to forces in ourselves, forces in nature, which we learn in meditation how to use so that we become a perfected tree of life. And this tree of life is uh, represented by the Christmas tree. In the holidays, we decorate a pine tree. And that tree is a symbol of this image in its most ancient roots. All those lights are all the sparks of consciousness we develop when we learn to harness the power of our body for goodwill, as well as our vital forces, yesod, our emotions, hod, our mind, etzah. It's easy to see that when we meditate or observe within ourselves, or after we're having a very difficult day at work, that we have many elements that are negative. Desires, habits, which again condition us. So we must learn as a, with our will, as a human soul, this sphere known as Tifereth. Our willpower must learn to control mind, heart, vitality, and our physical body. So this is a very beautiful image that teaches us a lot. And this is just an introduction because through our courses and lectures, we explain all the dynamics of this tree of life in ourselves. But in a very Buddhist sense, we can see the interdependent nature of all things represented here. The Buddhists speak about interdependence, how nothing is stable in nature. Nothing is unitary. Everything depends on something else within this phenomenological universe. Our mind, our thoughts depend on other factors. Maybe external influences, external situations provoke certain thoughts. Likewise, our emotions. And how we use our energy is dependent on what we eat, what we nourish ourselves with. And our body depends on how we take care of it. This tree of life is not something separate. All these spheres relate to each other what we call in Hebrew sephiroth, which means emanations. These are all the lights of the Christmas tree, which we must purify within ourselves so that we can really celebrate the birth of the Lord within us, the nativity of the Lord. And so all religion teaches that there are levels of instruction. The tree of life is a glyph that teaches us really... uh, the most advanced aspects of our psyche. But I'm just introducing this to you so that 
you can see the, some of the depth and expansiveness of what awareness is. Because awareness is not just the physical body, but all the sephiroth, all those spheres that really constitute who we are. And religion teaches in any tradition certain parameters of how to practice so that we can develop that awareness fully. We have introductory levels, we have intermediate levels, and it have advanced levels. In Buddhism, the introductory level of that tradition was known as the Sutrayana, or is known as Sutrayana. It is the public teaching. As in Judaism we say, Thou shalt not kill, shall not steal, shall not lie, fornicate, adulterate. These are not dictates from some anthropomorphic God who wants to make humanity suffer by following these rules. Do this or you'll get certain consequences. It's not a mean of punishment. It's something psychological. Because when we observe our mind, we can see that we have many elements that enjoy hatred or bloodshed. Not physically. We may speak with sarcasm to someone and the blood rushes to their face. Therefore, we're shedding blood. We're committing violence in the mind by humiliating another person. That is the meaning of thou shalt not kill. Physically, yes, it's a very serious crime to commit that. But psychologically, we have many habits and behaviors towards our loved ones in which we humiliate others. Likewise, stealing. Sometimes we steal ideas. Besides, stealing physical things is another thing. So there's levels of teaching in these public explanations of how to control the consciousness. So there are a code of ethics, we can say, that teach the soul how to look within and to understand all the conditions that we created, all the elements of desire, our defects, so that by training them, our mind becomes stable. The mind and heart is filled with consciousness, light, and we be- develop our awareness. First, by curtailing negative action, which occurs in our mind, our heart, and our body. This is a very public level. This is the beginning of any spiritual tradition. You also have an intermediate level known as the Mahayana. Sutrayana relates to the sutras, the basic public instructions of how to develop consciousness. The Mahayana means greater vehicle. Yana means vehicle. Maha means great. It is a level of teaching in which we are practicing not for our own benefit, but for others. We practice not only to eliminate our own states of anger, but so that our anger doesn't affect other people. That's a really compassionate state. We work for the benefit of others. This is a, someone like Jesus in his Gospels taught. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. We don't work on ourselves just for ourselves, but for them, for others. It's marked by its development of compassion, which takes a level of understanding. When we see our mind and that we have created conditions to our consciousness, that obstruct our awareness, we see that other people are at that level too, that we share the same defects, we're cut from the same scissors. So we have no need to judge anybody. Therefore, we should learn to judge ourselves. This is the mesoteric level of teaching, the middle ground. But there's an advanced teaching, which in Buddhism is called Tantrayana. In the scripture I read from, at the opening of this lecture, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is a tantric book. 
it teaches very advanced concepts, which I want to introduce you to so that uh, you can see some of the possibilities and expansiveness of this teaching. Tantrayana is the vehicle of tantrism. Tantra means continuum. The continuum and flow of consciousness through the work of controlling energy. Energies in the psyche, in the body, etc. And so Tantrayana teaches how to awaken consciousness in a very expedient way, in a very quick way. So in the beginning, one learns a certain ethical discipline by learning to control the mind and to adopt good behavior. Not from a moral standpoint, but from a conscious perspective that certain habits and behaviors produce suffering. Not only for ourselves, but for others. In the intermediate state, we work for other people. The Mahayana tradition. We understand that our behaviors and conditions of mind not only create suffering for us, but for others. And therefore we work for other human beings. And in the tantric aspect, there is no sense of self. There is only the benefit of the other. And this is really the core teaching of Jesus, of Buddha, who gave their life completely out of compassion. And if you go back to the tree of life, we see that the highest level of compassion is related to this top trinity, which is the crown of glory, the wisdom of the divine, and the intelligence or understanding of divinity, which is a perception that penetrates so deeply into all phenomena that there is no confusion, there is no illusion. It is a way of knowing, of being, that is devoid of I, of me, myself. It is universal. So when we study meditation, we study three trainings. The beginning is ethics, known as sila. This is the foundational path in which we work to understand ourselves. We do this through the practice of, of self-observation, learning to become aware of our mind, our body, our heart, our energies, our will, everything that surges within our understanding, our experience. We have to learn to perceive, to become aware. What feeds our awareness is learning to behave from that state of consciousness, that state of purity, which is divine love, which is mercy, compassion. Those are natural states of our consciousness. Elements like fear and resentment, those are conditions we created out of the mistakes, the wrong use of our energies. And, but we have the power to rectify that, which is what all prophets teach. And the way to do so is through ethics. This is not a moral code or system to adopt and believe in, but it's something to practice daily. When we see what exactly in us is causing conflict in a certain situation, and then we lurk look within and learn to change and comprehend those sources of suffering in ourselves so that through the grace of divinity we can be purified. There is the training of ecstasy that comes next, known as samadhi. Many meditative traditions teach that when one learns to meditate, they have experiences, which is very true. Awakening in dreams, speaking face-to-face -face with the angels, with the divinities, with God, our own inner being, this is a state of awareness and consciousness that is freed from the physical conditions of the body 
and has entered into the world of dreams. Which relates to the world of Hod, as we discussed previously. This image on the left, the bottom left pillar. Sometimes we can also see the world on the right, Netzach, the mind, is also the world of dreams. They both relate. Usually we go in those, world, those worlds without awareness of what we're doing, where we are at, what we're thinking, what we're dreaming. Usually we, usually we wake up and we remember certain threads of experiences in those states, but we don't have much cognizance. That's an indication of where we're at in our meditative practice. Because one who awakens in meditation, who trains him or herself in meditation, is awake in dreams, in that dream world. And therefore, that's a type of samadhi. It's an ecstasy of the soul, in which you are receiving knowledge in a direct way from the truth. And therefore, you don't need to believe in anything because you know directly from the divine for yourself. Which is why we say that in this tradition, he who has faith has no need to believe. Faith is conscious knowledge of knowing. And samadhi is when the consciousness has been freed of its conditions, its shells, extracted like the genie from Aladdin's lamp so that it can perform the miracles of the soul. In the third training, we have profound wisdom. Profound wisdom relates to the perception of divinity within us, which again relates to the top trinity. The light of our inner Buddha Buddha means awakened one, to be cognizant, alert, perceptive, from the prefix bud, meaning cognizance. And so this tree of life is our map for who, what we are and who we are, and where we are at. As I mentioned to you, the image of the Christmas tree relates to this glyph. And we find a very beautiful teaching by a Sufi by the name of Rumi, who's a very famous poet in the West today who spoke about this tree of life in a very implicit way. If ten lamps are present in one place, each differs in form from one another. Yet you can't distinguish whose radiance is whose when you focus on the light. Because when those sephiroth or aspects of ourself are purified, they illuminate light and they integrate their one unity. So those religions that teach about polytheism and many gods and yet one god relate to this tree of life. Because we have the Trinity, which is three aspects of God, but one light. So that light manifests in many ways, in different ways. And so the wisdom of prana, the final training of meditation, which is the teachings of the tantric Buddhists, teaches the one to have profound perception of all things to perceive the very root nature of any phenomena, physical, energetic, emotional, mental, volitional, relating to will, conscious, spiritual, and even beyond. So it's a very deep science, very rich, which takes a lot of study and meditation and practice to understand this glyph. But here we're introducing in a very synthetic way to show you that awareness is something very profound. It's a limitless science. This is just the beginning. Because prana comes from the word pra, which means beyond. Nya, as in JNA, refers to knowledge, as in jnana yoga. 
Also, the root word of, of the Greek term gnosis has a silent gn, the same root meaning there. So the Christian and Eastern traditions are integral. You can't separate them. So we learn to understand ourselves, our awareness of who we are through meditation, through these trainings. And as I mentioned to you, we seek to break the conditions of mind. Because as the Sufi master Abu Sa'id in one of his scriptures wrote, wherever the delusion of your selfhood appears, that's hell. Wherever you aren't, that's heaven. Our problem is that we grasp onto a self that doesn't exist. Our egotism, our resentments, our despondency or despair, our negativities, these are conditions of mind we created, but which really don't have any intrinsic existence in and of themselves. They depend on other factors to bring them up, such as at a family gathering, we may have certain gossip that goes on in which we criticize others, or speak badly of others. We have that defect we created from prior experiences. So that egotistical element only emerges in certain situations. It's dependent on that situation to act. And so you see the relationship between events and internal states. And in Buddhist terms, that sense of self we grasp onto in that moment is not real. It's an illusion. It doesn't have any real substance. Because when you analyze and meditate on that element, you see that it's always dependent on something else to exist. And yet, as we observe ourselves, we perceive that we are not mind, thought. We are not emotions, mood. We're not energy. We're not our body. Even our willpower has certain conditions and elements. Someone who has a strong will, we admire obviously. But our willpower, like the will of a being like, of a person like Caiaphas, so to speak, who persecuted Jesus, is a very evil will. And we have elements of that nature inside. Our will can follow. Our, our inner Tifereth can follow the beauty of God above or our own desires. And so how we use our will shapes our life. But our sense of self is contingent upon other factors. There's always a fluctuation and churning there. So when we analyze ourselves, we see that and ask ourselves, where is my awareness? Who am I really in my depth? The tree of life can teach us this. And depending on our level of awareness, our training, we may gravitate more or less to one of these spheres. But through discipline, we ascend. And so I'd like to explain to you or recite to you some beautiful teachings from the scripture I started this lecture with. It teaches us some considerations to think about when we learn meditation. And again, this is a very profound scripture that teaches one to analyze the mind and was typically read on retreats. So while you're getting a crash course in this now, uh, to really understand the beauty and depth of this teaching is something we go back to again and again and again. The three considerations. The following is the introduction to the means of experiencing the single nature of mind. We could say consciousness. Through the application of three considerations. First, recognize that past thoughts are traceless, clear, and empty. 
Second, recognize that future thoughts are unproduced and fresh. And third, recognize that the present moment abides naturally and unconstructed. So the present moment is. The problem is that we are always projecting our thoughts, our habits, our emotions on the present moment. We're not aware of what's really going on around us, within us. When this ordinary, momentary consciousness is examined nakedly and directly by oneself, upon examination it is a radiant awareness, which is free from the presence of an observer. So the question is, who is observing? Is it thought? Is it saying? Is it is the thought that says, "I think that I'm observing"? Anyone can analyze with the intellect, but observation doesn't involve, in its true sense, a sense of I or me. It is universal and expansive. So it is manifestly stark and clear, completely empty and uncreated in all respects, lucid, without duality of radiance and emptiness, not permanent for it is lacking inherent existence in all respects. Not a mere nothingness, for it is radiant and clear. Not a single entity, for it is clearly perceptible as a multiplicity, yet not existing inherently as a multiplicity, for it is indivisible and of a single savor. So when we look at the tree of life, we can see this Buddhist teaching is very well documented. It's very hard to follow, very contradictory for the mind. But the fact that consciousness is a multiplicity, but also unity, is easily represented here. We can't say that our thoughts and emotions are separate. Usually we're feeling a certain way and a thought emerges, and also the will to act. So there's a, factors, these factors are one, one expression. This intrinsic awareness, which is not extraneously derived is itself the genuine introduction to the abiding nature of all things. For in this intrinsic awareness, the three Buddha bodies are inseparable and fully present as one. So in Buddhism, the Trikaya, or the Christian trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Keter, Chokmah, Bina, which are represented in Buddhism as the three Buddha bodies, or vehicles of light. Its emptiness and utter lack of inherent existence is the Buddha body of reality, Keter. The natural resonance and radiance of this emptiness is the Buddha body of perfect resource, Chokmah. And its unimpeded arising in any form whatsoever is the Buddha body of emanation, Bina. These three, fully present as one, are the very essence of awareness itself. So meditation is the science of acquiring information about ourselves the conditions of mind that make us suffer. We acquire light, the unification of the three Buddha bodies, the Trikaya, as we learn to look within ourselves. Awareness originates from the top of the tree of life and becomes enmeshed in materiality the further down it descends. We as human consciousness, Tipareth, must learn how to act within the lower vehicles of the soul, mind, emotions, vitality, and physicality. In relation to the law of interdependence, our mind, emotions, energies, and physical body rely on external factors to exist. Yet awareness, the light of the divine, is the originating and emanating force 
which propels the movement of the tree of life. It is uncreated in all respects, this awareness, and is that from which all things originated and which all things return. So the tree of life helps us to visually comprehend the interdependent nature of all this, all phenomena. When we explore one aspect of ourselves, we see this depends upon other emanations, other sephiroth of this diagram. So nothing has intrinsic existence in and of itself. What we call self is merely emptiness, void of true reality and objectivity. We can see that our physical body, Malkut, depends on many factors in order to live. Our energies, Yasod, fluctuate from morning to evening. We may have more energy at one point of the day and less in the nighttime. Our emotions, Hod, fluctuate from happiness to sadness, compassion to hatred, faith to despair. Our thoughts, Netzach, are never stable, but jump from thing to thing through a chain of associative thinking. Our willpower and intentions, Tifereth, are usually conditioned by negativity and desires to commit wrong. When our will follows the will of our inner Buddha, we perform beautiful action within ourselves, which, of course, depends upon consciousness, Geburah. Most of us don't know what consciousness even is, and what it let, let alone what it means to be spiritual. Many people learning meditation don't even get past the physical body and its discomforts, let alone access the higher aspects of the tree of life. Even our spirit, no matter how divine, originated from somewhere, from the top trinity. Our consciousness depends upon the spirit to exist, yet even this spiritual nature depends upon the light above, as we see in this graphic. Therefore, the Buddhists follow the teachings of Anatman, no self, since even the spirit, the self, depends upon the trikaya above. Therefore, genuine awareness is the trikaya, which gives life to the spheres below, since all things depend upon this trinity for their subsistence and existence. This is what Padmasambhava refers to in the section we've been discussing and reading, Introduction to Awareness or Natural Liberation through Naked Perception. Our perception, our consciousness, becomes naked and clear when we learn to actualize and intuit its real nature through discipline on a daily basis. This light which is radiance and emptiness of selfhood, is our true nature. So it is with the following verses in mind that Tibetan Buddhists seek to comprehend the emptiness of the mind. This is from observations related to examining the nature of mind from this scripture. Be certain that the nature of mind is empty and without foundation. One's own mind is insubstantial, like an empty sky. Look at your own mind to see whether it is like that or not. Divorced from views which constructively determine the nature of emptiness, be certain that pristine cognition, naturally originating, is primordially radiant, just like the nucleus of the sun, which is itself naturally originating. Look at your own mind to see whether it is like that or not. Be certain that this awareness, which is pristine cognition, is uninterrupted, like the coursing central torrent of a river which flows unceasingly. Look at your own mind to see whether it is like that or not. Be certain that conceptual thoughts and fleeting memories are not strictly identifiable, but insubstantial in their motion, like the breezes of the atmosphere. Look at your own mind to see whether it is like that or not. Be certain that all that appears is naturally manifest in the mind, 
like the images in a mirror which also appear naturally. Look at your own mind to see whether it is like that or not. Be certain that the, all characteristics are liberated right where they are, like the clouds of the atmosphere, naturally originating and naturally dissolving. Look at your own mind to see whether it is like that or not. There are no phenomena extraneous to those that originate from mind. So, how could there be anything on which to meditate apart from the mind? There are no phenomena extraneous to those that originate from the mind. So there are no modes of conduct to be undertaken extraneous to those that originate from the mind. There are no phenomena extraneous to those that originate from the mind. So there are no commitments to be kept extraneous to those that originate from the mind. There are no phenomena extraneous to those that originate from the mind. So there are no results to be attained extraneous to those that originate from the mind. There are no phenomena extraneous to those that originate from the mind. So one should observe one's own mind, looking into its nature again and again. If, upon looking outwards towards the external expanse of the sky, there are no projections emanated by the mind, and if, on looking inwards at one's own mind, there is no projectionist who projects thoughts by thinking them, then one's own mind, completely free from conceptual projections, will become luminously clear. So there's some things to think about in relation to observing and examining our mind. Consciousness is not something static, but it's changing, dynamic, fluent. And when we sit in the moment to conceptualize or rationalize our experience, we kill the moment. The truth is the unknowable from moment to moment, instant to instant. Life fluctuates in moments. And when we sit to photograph or to conceptualize our experience, we become lost in the past. But awareness is something momentarily. We have to become vigilant and conscious and awake. Because as we are with our thoughts, our habits, our feelings, we tend to be hypnotized by our senses, by our daydreams. We could be at work, talking with someone, answering a phone call, and yet be thinking about something else. And that's the nature of the mind. It's distracted. It doesn't know how to focus. We could be sitting in a lecture, and yet the mind is wandering elsewhere, or the emotions are not receiving the knowledge. So consciousness has to be present. We have to be aware of ourselves, and thought, word, and deed. Instant by instant, moment by moment. And so meditation is a science that teaches us how to be aware, how to be awake, so that we learn to comprehend ourselves. And by learning to comprehend ourselves, we develop the genuine joy of the soul, free of conditions, of negativity. you have any questions? That's a good point. And the point to think about is that by learning to awaken consciousness, we no longer react to things. Instead, we respond. We typically think that fear and 
certain negative qualities are, na- are natural and necessary for survival. Mm-hmm. For animals, that is. Animal souls live and respond in that, or live and react in that way. But someone who's conscious, who's awake, can respond to a situation with much greater clarity and greater precision than somebody who reacts out of fear. So this is very well documented or studied within certain uh, Buddhist traditions like the, the samurai. They would meditate before battles. And if they weren't attentive or awake of the, aware of themselves, they would get killed. In the same manner, if we're not aware of what we're doing when we're driving, we can get in serious harm. But having fear is not necessarily a good backup because fear only knows how to react. It's mechanical. Something jumps out in front of you, you you move. You don't even rationalize. But when you're conscious, you know exactly what you're doing. And therefore, you can divert harm. So if if you're really conscious, then you're proactive. You're proactive. And then you're not going to put yourself in any danger. Because if you react out of fear or anxiety, out of instinct, you can get hurt. You may save yourself for a moment, but... If you're conscious, you know exactly what you need to do, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. So being conscious means to expand that awareness to the point that you're in full control of what's going on and you're responding to life in remembrance of your inner divinity. You're anticipating also to be proactive. No? And you, know, you will know things will happen before they happen. Therefore, you prevent many problems. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.